Welcome to Archaeology in 30, a podcast produced by the Florida Public Archaeology Network. I'm your host, Mike Tillman, and on this episode, we'll chat with County Archaeologist Christian Davenport. Chris is a Historic Preservation Officer at Palm Beach County in Southeast Florida. We'll talk to him about what types of things Historic Preservation Officers do in counties and some of the experiences he's had working as an archaeologist for private companies, universities, and governments. Chris will also describe a recent trip he led to the prehistoric site known as Big Mound City, the importance of public archaeology, and one way the profession of archaeology has changed over the past three decades. Joining me now is Christian Davenport, the County Historic Preservation Officer and Archaeologist at Palm Beach County. Uh, welcome, welcome on, Chris. Thanks for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. So uh, I wanted to start with your, your title is County Historic Preservation Officer. Can you tell me what is a historic preservation officer and uh, what, did, what is your job? What do you do? Uh, basically, I'm responsible for uh, advising uh, decision makers within Palm Beach County uh, regarding not only the standing structures, but also the archaeological sites within Palm Beach County. And so... Uh, What's can you kind of give me just a kind of example of some of the stuff you do like uh, on a weekly basis? Paperwork. Paper. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of paperwork. Um, I, I have like one of the most unpredictable jobs uh, around. I think literally, I don't know what the day is going to bring when I show up to work. Uh, it could be um, everything from identifying a new archaeological site you know, discovered at a construction site or discovered by a farmer to, um, you know, documenting a house that's 50 years of age before it's demoed for whatever reason um, to arguing with lawyers over uh, historic tax credits. I mean, I, I cover it all. And so you are really enforcing these are county laws, basically. County laws, uh, occasionally state laws, but yeah, primarily county laws. And how, how many, do you have any idea of how many county um, historic preservation officers there are? Because I know certainly, uh, you know, I'm, we're based in, our headquarters are here in Pensacola. We certainly don't have a county historic preservation officer. So is that something that's um, unique or is it is it more common than I'm thinking? Well, uh, you know, it, it's a title and that's all it really is. Um, there are six county archaeologists across the state. Um, most of which are down here in Southeast Florida, but, uh, you know, people get hung up on titles, but pretty much every municipality, at least along the coastal regions has a historic preservation planner. So people think that historic preservation isn't, um, addressed frequently in the state, but actually it is, it's just not by archeologists or, uh, um, more cultural resource oriented kind of businesses. Uh, it's more on planning departments and zoning departments. Gotcha. And now, um, you've how long have you been the historic preservation officer there at Palm Beach County? I blew into Palm Beach County with Hurricane Wilma. I, I got here literally the the week before the storm hit in two thousand and five. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, ima that, imagine you had a lot of work to do. I mean, was it? Um, did, were you brought in for a specific reason to deal with kind of the aftermath of that hurricane, or was it just kind of a coincidence? No, it was strictly coincidence. I, it was my first hurricane, so wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just left a lasting impression. <laughs> where were, where did you come from before then? Uh, Maryland. Oh, man, what a shock. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. The last hurricane I've been before that was uh, Hurricane David in '77. And so, um, speaking of your kind of prior experience, I looked on your um, I looked a little bit of information up on you, mainly through your like LinkedIn page, and it says that you have 30 years of experience working in cultural resource man- management industry. Um, and it was, what's I think really unique about you specifically is how you've worked in um, so many different capacities as an archaeologist for private companies, uh, universities, and now for local governments. Uh, can you tell me about the experience of that? You know, has, has it been very different uh, transition-wise in working for these very different types of organizations? Yeah, it, it is different. Um, I, like you said, I've worked for federal agencies, um, kind of local county agencies, and now, um, you know, the private sector as well in cultural resource management. And each one has uh, different requirements and different goals. And uh, the compliance aspect, I think, for me, is the most challenging. Um, getting work done when work has to be done when owners and people don't really want to do it. And uh, it, it takes a fine line to to be successful at that. What what are some can you give me some examples of some of the different uh, like notable projects that you've been involved with over that that period of time? Oh, here in the county. Well, how about uh, more recent? How about like recently? Maybe okay. start off with that. Okay. Uh, well, for instance, uh, one of the projects we're doing now was for a Florida Community Trust grant. Uh, they were going to be relocating some utilities on the Jupiter One Inlet site, which is uh, commonly known here as Du Bois Park. Uh, and it's a 2,000-year-old Shell Midden village site. So uh, basically, I got an army of volunteers from local universities together and uh, excavated enough units to figure out what was or was not going to be impacted by the proposed improvements. And, and it was a success. The students got firsthand experience on a real site and the county saved some money and no historic resources were adversely impacted. So it was kind of a win-win. Yeah, it's, that's awesome. I, I know sometimes it doesn't always work out, um, you know, that way. And so it's, what's interesting too, is I know South Florida, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of development. I mean, there's development everywhere, but it seems like there, there is a ton down there. How's it working with developers down there? I mean, do, do they have a pretty good relationship with, um, with CRM firms and, and county, uh, county archaeologists like yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, I think Miami Dade was the first one to have a county archaeologist. And, you know, it's a learning curve on both sides. And fortunately for me, uh, you know, because of the National Historic Preservation Act, I mean, Miami-Dade and, and Broward County having ordinances, um, the developers are pretty used to it by now. And uh, they actually, they work pretty much hand in hand. There's not a whole lot of complaining anymore unless something really significant is hit and starts delaying their project. But but as you know, that's actually fairly rare. Right, Yeah. Um, and now, speaking of some of the recent stuff you've been involved with, um, I, I noticed on our FPAN's uh, Southeast Facebook page that they had some really cool pictures of a trip, a recent trip that they, the staff there took, uh, along with Florida Fish and Wildlife uh, Conservation Commission, to Big Mound City. And I believe you were you were there. You were on that uh, little trip, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of like the, the regional expert now on those earthworks uh, down here. And I've worked for oh, probably the last five years to develop a professional rapport 
with uh, Florida Fish and Game uh, to get interested parties, archaeologists, um, groups out to see these sites, to record what's happening to them. Um, you know, at, like I said, FWC is being really good stewards of it, but, you know, we have a real problem with hogs down here, and the hogs are really damaging these sites. So I try to get any state agencies I can involved um, just to make people aware of the damage that's occurring to these monuments. Yeah, I think that's sometimes the best way to get that done is by getting people on the ground and seeing it for themselves. Um, and so one thing I noticed is you guys took some really interesting vehicles out there. I mean, the only <laughs> thing I can think of to describe them would be like swamp buggies. Can you describe these vehicles and, and why you had to use those? So, yeah, they are swamp buggies, um, and they are enormous, absolutely huge. Um, the tires are about six feet tall, and the deck where you sit is about another three feet up. So you're a good ten feet up in the air when they're driving these, these beasts of vehicles. Uh, and the reason is the terrain in South Florida, although you wouldn't know it today to – drive along the coast or drive in the agricultural areas, the terrain in South Florida is actually really rugged. And there's all kinds of um, uh, solution-type ponds and depressional wetlands. And, you know, those those things get really deep and really mucky. And if you don't have those massive vehicles, you can't get to it. Uh, so, you know, again, FWC, they deserve a huge pat on the back. Um, you know, they provide that transportation. Otherwise, nobody would be getting to those sites. And so can you tell me a little bit about this specific site, this Big Mound City site? Yeah, uh, Big Mound City is is probably the largest Native American earthwork in the state. It's enormous. Um, the entire site, if you incorporate all the mounds, is about 116 square acres. Wow. So that's the same size as Mound Key, which most people probably know of on the West Coast. I mean, it's huge. Um, and we know virtually nothing about the site. The site was initially excavated in the 1930s under a, a Work Progress Administration program by uh, Dr. Sterling. And unfortunately, his notes got lost up in D.C. somewhere. We don't know really lost. what... Lost yeah, in D.C., lost. imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that whole Ark and the Covenant sitting right, all yeah, over Yeah, it's sitting in a box somewhere on these those shelves in, in yes. a big warehouse, right? Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, Willie, Gordon Willie, is uh, the only real source we have of uh, Sterling's notes of what was found. And the other, there were 13 of these earthworks at one time, or minimally 13 of these earthworks at one time, scattered across the Everglades, and, and really uh, Big Mound City, Big Gopher Mound, and uh, Fort Center are the only ones really left intact. Uh, the rest were either destroyed by draining and ditching efforts or were in agricultural fields and just no longer exist. So, I mean, they're real jewels. Um, to me, they're UNESCO World Heritage Sites waiting to happen. Um, but that just... that takes time and, and funds to complete that process. Now, when you guys were, were out at the site, did you notice, I mean, were, were there any, you mentioned that their hogs were causing damage. So when you went out there, did you notice any of that um, disturbance of some of these mounds? Oh, absolutely. There, there's, there's something the hogs are rooting up 
that occurs or is occurring right at the base of the mound, so where the base meets the ground surface, if you will. And pretty much they just go in there and till the mound up right at the base, which is probably the worst place you could have damage because then it just causes slumping uh, from the soil above. So it's kind of a never-ending process. And did you did you notice any artifacts on the surface? And can you kind of um, tell anything? I know you said that we don't really know a whole lot about this particular site, but based on any of the surface artifacts, do you have any idea of what culture or what time period this, this particular um, mound complex was constructed? Actually, no. <laughs> it's, it's very frustrating. Um, South Florida is, and I've said this several times uh, publicly, is like the last black hole of American archaeology. Um, you know, you can pretty much go other places in the nation and the cultural chronologies are well understood. You know, what what you should expect to find 99% of the time is what you find. There's been so little work done down in the, the Kissimmee, Everglades, Okeechobee Basin area. Um, it, it's really, it, it's an unknown every time you step out and what you're going to find. Um, what was interesting, you know, Sterling reports um, in the few notes that Willie was able to locate that very few artifacts were found. And uh, when we're out there, there's actually, even with all the hog rooting, and, and honestly, I've seen 30 square meters of soil tilled up to about a foot and a half of depth at Big Mound City, and there's no artifacts. There's no bone, there's no faunal, there's no shell, there's no ceramics. Um, South Florida, unlike where you are, is incredibly lithically poor. We have very little rock. Uh, so we, it's very rare that we ever find arrowheads or PPKs or whatever you want to call them. Um, so no, that stuff's not there. But we have found pottery on the site on previous trips, um, which remains at the FWC field office. Um, and unfortunately, once again, for South Florida, uh, I jokingly call this the land of prehistoric tupping, Tupperware <laughs> because the ceramics aren't decorated. Wow. So we have we have three basic types here, which are Belglade Plain, Sand Tempered Plain, and St. John's Plain. And because they're not decorated, we can't date them. You know, there's there's no characteristic change. So it's very frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine, especially with a site like this. Do you think um, there's a poss is there any possibility in the future for for any archaeologist, whether like a grad student or someone, to to maybe um, do some testing ex uh, excavations out there, and then also, um, is this is this state land that this particular site's on, or is it privately owned? No, this is state land. Both of these, both Big Mound City and Big Gopher, are on state land, Fish and Wildlife. So, um, I, I yes, other archaeologists have come out. They've done limited testing, and I'm not going to steal their thunder. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to report what they found or didn't find. So, but yes, there's a couple archaeologists, uh, one from Georgia and one from UF that are actively considering using Big Mound as a, a research site. Well, that's great. It's exciting and to to hear that um, that at least that's being pursued, and hopefully we have some something to look forward to uh, in terms of learning about what. What secrets might lie beneath uh, beneath what these hogs may or may not be digging up? Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, you you mentioned the terrain in South Florida, and of course, you know, one thing that comes to mind, I think, in most people's uh, w- most peaceful concept of what South Florida is like, of course, is wetlands. Do Do you have any experience working in the wetlands out out there in South Florida? Uh, yeah, I, I actually got a research permit from DHR, and we uh, again working with FWC within the Corbett Wildlife Area. Uh, we identified 26 new sites, including a brand new earthwork. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, it's mostly tree islands, um, which is basically a, a island surrounded by wetlands of various depths and, and seasonal dryness or inundation, depending on if it's the wet or dry season. Um Again, no dates, but a lot of faunal material, uh, and again, our our wonderful non-decorated pottery that we can't really do anything with, um, which is just incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, we get so excited when we find something as simple as St. John's check stamp, which is very commonplace north of us. You know, but if we were to find like you know a complicated stamp shirt, I may just pass out. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting, but yeah, we um, I've done work on Lake Okeechobee, which is probably the last true remaining wetland um, outside of the Everglades in the northern Everglades, Kissimmee uh, or uh, Lake Okeechobee Basin, and uh, that was incredible. Uh, we've done work in former wetlands in the uh, Everglades agricultural area. Uh, we actually have a private partner or private-public partnership going with uh, one of the major sugar growers down here, uh, Wedgeworth Farms. Uh, a field hand had, or a field manager, I should say, had found uh, some artifacts and contacted me and, and said, you know, hey, I found this stuff. Do you want to take a look at it? And I went out, and I was absolutely blown away by this. Uh, it was uh, St. John's incised ceramics, so it was very early. And uh, I talked to him and I told him how important it is. And, and the Wedgworth family, the Wedgworth uh, growers actually took the field that the site is in and out, out of production and allowed us to dig three test units. And we found not only is there artifacts there, but the site has stratigraphy. So this is the first stratified site that's been identified in the northern Everglades uh, since the 1930s. And uh, it, it's huge. And I uh, I dealt with Bill Acascio over at uh, Florida Gulf Coast University, and uh, they ran their field school out there, and, and they have amazing findings. So it was a huge success, and the Wedgworths have pledged to keep the site out of production so uh, investigations can continue on the site. That's great. It's always great to hear when uh, you know private citizens can really get involved not only help archaeologists uh, identify, find an actual site, but then actually help to preserve it, protect it, and then maybe even learn something about it. How, how often do you interact with the public um, in your capacity for the county? Uh, quite frequently. I'm a, a very strong proponent of public outreach and involving the public in these processes, uh, simply because if we don't, you know, the, the field will lose its support and archaeology will go back to the Dark Ages. The the example with the Wedgworth Farm site, we were actually very fortunate because the the field manager that came out, uh, his name is Stuart Stein, 
the Stein family actually owns Belglade Mound, owns the type site. And so he he really understands it and really gets it and has been a great emissary for archaeologists and, and what I do out in the glades. So it's it's a win. It was great, great event. And what would you I mean, what kind of advice would you give to um, maybe, our, you know, people training to become archaeologists uh, with with the importance of um, public archaeology? Can you talk a little bit of mo- a little bit more about um, how? how that can affect in terms of uh, passage of, of laws, for example. Because I know there's been a lot of concern about that, um, especially uh, with, within the last couple of months. There's been a lot of kind of concern about some of the uh, some of the federal laws that we have maybe being rolled back. Yeah, well, it's huge. If we don't, you know, we get one shot to protect these sites. That's it. So if we don't do our jobs right, all of this history is going to be lost. Uh, we don't get a chance to go back and correct these mistakes um, if they occur. You know, and, and what I would tell to, you know, the future generation archaeologists that are coming through the system now is, you know, you, you have to judge every encounter at its face value. And you need to be humble when you go into these communities because nine times out of ten, these aren't in your backyard. They're in somebody else's backyard. And, you know, it, it's taken me a solid eight to nine years to build the trust of the local communities to the point they know that they can come and tell me that they have found something and I'm not going to you know steal it from them. I'm not going to take it from them. You know, the, the county isn't going to come out and kick them off their property. So, I mean, that's that's the misconceptions that archaeologists, uh, I think it's a failing of, of academics. and I think it's a failing of the of the uh, private sector of this stigma that we're out to seize property, which is just not the case. Been in the field for such a long time. Have you noticed, uh, has the public been more involved in it from when you first started? Is there more emphasis on that or has it kind of been about the same? I would say it's been about the same. Um, I would say the biggest change I've seen since the 70s has been the, the the makeup of the field. When I was a kid and when I was, you know, a young adult, it was a male-dominated field. And I would say now it's the exact opposite. It's actually pretty much a female-dominated field. Um, even when I'm teaching at, you know, night school at FAU or teaching at other universities, the majority of my student students in my class are, are women, young women in the field. Yeah, I've I've noticed that too, and and some of the leading archaeologists. I mean, the president of our university, Dr. Judy Benz, of course, uh, was oh, probably thanks. one of the first ones. You know, yeah. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, or Liz Wing at Florida. Absolutely. I mean, you know, these 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 women. You know, you want to use the the prop or the popular term at this point. I mean, they're the ones that broke the glass ceiling in the field. Right. You now Betty Menger's at the Smithsonian. I mean, you know, it's. Those are the places. These are the people. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for, for being on. Um, thanks for everything you do. Uh, and I've, I've learned a lot. I hope other people who listen to this do as well. All right. Thank you, Mike. You bet. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Archaeology in 30. If you're ever down in southeast Florida, be sure to visit some of the amazing cultural resources they have, like Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. For more information on the Florida Public Archaeology Network, visit our website at www.fpan.us. We'll close this podcast out with an episode of Unearthing Florida with Dr. Judy Bentz. And remember, Florida's archaeological resources belong to us all. 
So take only photos and leave only footprints. Take care. Few archaeologists in the 20th century helped to further our understanding of Florida's prehistory more than Gordon Willie. I'm Dr. Judy Benz, and this is Unearthing Florida. While Willie had a distinguished career at Harvard studying the ancient Mayans, when he was a graduate student at Columbia in the summer of 1940, he led a pioneering expedition across the largely undeveloped northwest Florida Gulf Coast. Working in conditions that were extremely rough and wild, he discovered and studied sites that would soon become famous throughout eastern North America. For example, he discovered the Temple Mound in Fort Walton Beach, the famous shell rings in Gulf Breeze, and clusters of ancient burial mounds from Panama City to St. Mark's. He saw and recorded many of the region's prehistoric sites just before they were destroyed. Using only basic principles, he put the sites in correct chronological order. In 1949, Willie published his research in a book that became an instant classic, and to this day, many consider it the Bible of Florida archaeology. Dr. Judy Bentz is founder of the Florida Public Archaeology Network. Unearthing Florida is produced in partnership with WUWF Public Media. More information at unearthingflorida.org.